for the reading of God's word. Psalm chapter 1. says this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. It's the word of God. You may be seated. Well, we're beginning this morning a, a, a brief three-week look at uh, some of the different psalms. And we're doing this for a number of reasons, but obviously the psalms are, are part of the scripture, and so we're going to look at them. They are the God-breathed words, living and active. But the psalms are important for other reasons. The psalms are the favorite most quoted Old Testament book in the New Testament. There's over 100 quotations of the Psalms in the New Testament. Jesus quoted the Psalms more than any other book in the Old Testament. And so there's obviously something important to the New Testament writers about the Psalms. And so when we're looking at at trying to understand the New Testament, one of the things we should be doing is reading the Psalms. But the Psalms are also important because they are unique in Scripture. They are prayers. They are songs. And so they give us the language that we need to rightly express ourselves to God in in every season, in every phase of life that we might face. There are Psalms of lament and Psalms of confession, Psalms of celebration, Psalms of Praise, psalms of even coronation. There are even psalms uh, for judgment. And so the psalms give us the language and help us to understand that the Christian life is not one of always being up here. And so it raises the question, well, what, how do we express our confusion to God? How do we express ourselves when we want to celebrate God? How do we express ourselves when God feels distant? The Psalms help us to answer that question. And I want to read this quote from a church father named Athanasius. He lived in the 300s, and he, he writes this letter to a friend uh, to de- describing to him the book of Psalms and how to read it. And here's what he says, and I love this. This is what he says. Let whoever reads this book of Psalms take the things in it quite simply as God inspired. And let's each select from it as from the fruits of the garden those things of which he sees himself in need. For I think that in the words of this book all of human life is covered. 
with all its states and thoughts, and that nothing further can be found in man. For no matter what you seek, whether it be repentance and confession, or help in trouble and temptation, or under persecution, whether you have been set free from plots and snares, or on the contrary, are sad for any reason, or whether seeing yourself progressing and your enemy cast down, you want to praise and thank and bless the Lord. Each of these things, the divine Psalms, show you how to do. And in every case, the words you want are written down for you, and you can say them as your own. That is the value of the Psalms. And so as we look through a couple of Psalms in the next few weeks, uh, be reading them yourself. Take, take them to heart. But this morning, we're going we're gonna to focus in on the very first Psalm. And, and there's a lot of reasons for this. First, it's just the first Psalm. So why, what better place to start? But, but Psalm 1 is put here for a reason. It, it's, a, it's an introduction to the book of Psalms. And I've, I've called this sermon, uh, Two Paths and Two Destinies, because that's what Psalm 1 lays out for us. And that's why it's placed here at the beginning. It lays out at the beginning of the book of Psalms. Look, there's really only two ways to live. There's this, this, the blessed path or, or the righteous life. And there's the life of the wicked. And the way that the author here presents it is by kind of looking at this hypothetical person. He says man, but it really just means person. He describes this blessed man and he describes what his life looks like. And this here is meant to teach us what the blessed life looks like in contrast to the wicked life. What the happy way, happy life looks like is another way you could kind of translate that. So that's what we're going to see this morning. We're going to see the blessed life, what this looks like, where it leads. And then the author is also going to show us where the wicked life leads. So we'll break it down two verses at a time. It's, it's probably broken up like that in your Bible. And first we're going to see the actions that this blessed person or this happy person does. The second we're going to see a description of how this affects their life on earth. And third we're going to see how this affects the eternal state. What their life looks like, how this affects their life, and how this affects their eternal state. Let's pray. Almighty Father, eternal and merciful God, you've given us your word as a lamp unto our feet to light our path in this life. Father, this morning as, as we open it, as we hear your words, as we read your words, would you by the power of your spirit open and illuminate them to our minds and to our hearts so that we can understand what your word says and that through it our lives would be conformed to what we have understood so that we would not be displeasing unto your majesty. We know that it's only by your power that this happens. So, Father, work in us this morning in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son. Amen. So the first thing we're going to see is, is this. The happy person, or the blessed person, rejects the world's voice, but treasures God's voice. The, the happy person, or the blessed person, rejects the world's voice, but treasures God's voice. 
The, the happy Christian, the happy person, the blessed person does not follow the advice, the values of those who reject God, but instead treasures God's word. In other words, as, they, as they're navigating, as you're navigating through the decisions of life, this person that the psalmist is describing, the blessed man, looks to God's word for their source of wisdom, guidance, and authority, and they shut out the voice of the world. Look, look again at the first two verses of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but, so the contrast here, but instead his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. So, so this term, blessed, is, is really important. It's, it's one of the words that's kind of lost its meaning in English a little bit. Like we say it so much that we don't really even know what it means. It's like a hashtag, you know, on Instagram. It, but it's, it's a word that we just throw around. In Hebrew, it's a very specific concept. Um, you see Jesus using it at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. But being blessed in a Jewish sense, in an Old Testament sense, is the idea of being happy because one is favored by God. In fact, some translations, like if you have the CSB, it even translates it. CSB translates the first part of verse 1 like this. It says, I think I even have it on the screen um, on one of the slides. It says, How happy is the man who does not follow the advice of the wicked? So, so that's, that's what it, it's, it's getting at here. It's, it's what biblical happiness is. It's, this, it's not a shallow concept, but it's a deep abiding sense that God's favor is on you. That you are walking in the path of godliness. The, the biblically happy person is the person who knows that by God's grace, they are resting in God's favor. And this, this contains the emotion that we think of as happiness, but it's a much deeper concept. It doesn't mean that everything's always hunky-dory and happy. To be blessed is to be walking in obedience to God. So, so this person, this happy person, is one who stops listening to the voice of the world and starts listening to God's word. That's what the psalmist is telling us. That the world is speaking and God is speaking. And the happy person, the blessed person, closes their ear to the world, but opens their ear to God's voice. It's, there's, a, there's a negative aspect to this and a positive aspect. So, so the negative aspect is that, uh, this first, the shutting out, the stopping the ear. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. And again, this word wicked it's, it's kind of a, not a word you use every day. Uh, when, you, when I hear the word wicked, it's like you think of a musical or like the Wicked Witch of the East, you know, or like goblins and stuff like that. But, that, but that's, not, that's not what wicked means biblically. Wicked biblically is simply the ungodly people, people who reject God. They are like literally ungodly. Those, those who do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So what the psalmist is saying is this, this person... The happy person does not walk in their counsel, does not take advice from ungodly people. He doesn't take his life advice from those who don't know and don't love 
God. The, the happy person, the blessed person, doesn't look to her ungodly friends and try to be like them. The happy person doesn't take their values and their priorities from people who don't love Jesus. The happy person instead shuts out these voices, does not walk in their counsel. And again, the CSB translation, how happy is the person who does not listen to the advice of the wicked? Now, now understand, because what I'm not saying is you can't learn anything from like non-Christians, right? Or that if you, you have a problem with your car, you should only take it to a Christian mechanic. Or that if you, know, you need advice on, I don't know, mathematics, you have to go to a Christian math, mathematist, <laughs> mathematician. That wasn't in my notes. See what happens? Although you should go to Raymond, Dr. Raymond. You have that option. No, you should just find the best mechanic. That, that's not what this, voice, this, this verse is, this is talking about. What it is saying is that when it comes to the deeper purposes of life, your priorities, your pursuits, the things you love, the things that you do, the things you value, your moral standards, your way of life, you are not to be getting counsel from those who reject Christ, from sinners, the text says, from the wicked, from scoffers, from those who don't know God. So you want, you want to be happy. You want to walk in the path of obedience, which I hope you do. Do not walk in the counsel of the wicked. And next, the happy person or the happy Christian doesn't stand in the way of sinners. So there's kind of a progression here. We've gone from walking to standing. A bit more permanence. Don't stand in the way of sinners. And it's basically saying the same thing. Way in Hebrew connotes the idea of like way of life. So don't live like sinners. Again, this is saying the same thing. Don't take your understanding of life from sinful people. From those who don't know God. The, the, the blessed person doesn't do this. They, they don't stand in the way of sinners. They don't give sinners their ear. So again, Christian, you want to be happy. You want to be blessed. Stop trying to live like sinners do. Stop chasing after the same things that sinful people do. Stop emulating their lifestyles and their priorities. Stop imitating what they do. Saying, shut out the voice of the sinners. The happy person doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, and he takes it to another level here, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. So we've gone from walking to standing, now to sitting. And it gets more serious because now we're talking about scoffers. Now again, here's another word that we don't really use today. So biblically, what is a scoffer? It has a very specific Meaning, A scoffer in Scripture is like the worst kind of sinner. A scoffer in Scripture is someone who mocks God, scoffs at God. Someone who mocks godly people and ultimately lives however they want to live. They, they pay no mind to any authority over them. Proverbs 21, 24 describes the scoffer like this. Just listen to the, the emphasis of this. Scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. That's three descriptor arrogant words in, in one, actually four. 
in one sentence. Scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. So a scoffer is, is this arrogant person. In, in Proverbs 24, verse 9, Scripture says that the scoffer is an abomination to mankind. Because a scoffer is literally completely reversing the role of what mankind was meant to do. God created us to worship and to reflect his image to all of creation. And the scoffer goes completely the opposite direction. There were scoffers back then. And there are scoffers today. Scoffing. Let me give you a couple modern examples. The famous atheist Richard Dawkins. He writes this in his book, The God Delusion. This is scoffing. He says... The God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all of fiction. Jealous and proud of it. A petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak. That's what he says about God. And actually, it's like a paragraph long. That's just a short version. That's scoffing. Sheer arrogance. Another philosopher, Thomas Nagel, says this. This is scoffing. It isn't just that I don't believe in God. And naturally hope that I'm right in my belief. It's that I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. That's scoffing. Now these are obvious examples. Outright rejection of God. Scoffing is the, the proverbial shaking of your fist at the heavens. It's the proclamation of I will live my life however I want. Regardless of what you God have to say about it. This is pretty much the idea of our entire culture. Do what feels right to you. Follow your own truth. Live your best life. Don't deny yourself. Whatever you think is right for you is right for you. Nobody can judge you. You need to live by your own set of rules and not worry about what other people have to say. But you see, even this idea, these ideas are mocking God, because he has revealed himself, who he is and what he created us for in his word. And this, these ideas, these concepts look at it and say, no, we're going to do our own thing. That is scoffing. So what the text is saying here is that the, the blessed person, the person walking in obedience doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers, doesn't give an ear to these type of people or these ideas in their life doesn't take their values or priorities from them. The the happy Christian doesn't allow themselves to be influenced by the ungodly sinners, the scoffers. And and that's that's where it gets kind of like hard because it's it's easy not to be influenced by like a Richard Dawkins or or something like that. But, But think about this. What voices are influencing you? I mean, what, what voices are you allowing to speak into your life, whether, whether explicitly or implicitly, whether directly or indirectly? Is this a voice of ungodly, sinful people, of scoffers? I mean, this is hard for us in the 21st century because we constantly have things. There's TVs, there's podcasts, there's radio. There's constantly voices speaking in to our life. And most of it, is ungodly. Almost all of celebrity culture, pop culture, is an ungodly voice. 
And, and I'm not saying that you need to go smash your TV or chuck your computer out the window, or that probably wouldn't be a bad idea, <laughs> just to be honest. But, but the text is telling us this. If you want to be a happy person in the biblical sense, a blessed Christian, if you want to walk the path of blessing, you must be extremely mindful of what is influencing you. So I ask you again, what voices are you allowing to influence you? Maybe you've never thought of that. But as Christians, we need to be discerning, constantly thinking of how, how things are, are influencing us. The shows you watch, the books you read, the Instagram accounts you follow, the celebrities you admire, the friends you keep. How are they influencing you? Scripture is telling us, look, it, If you want to be happy, you've got to be careful about what's speaking into your life and shut out the voice of ungodly people. So I'll give you an example from my own life. There there was a a popular TV show on years ago that that I would watch. Me and my friends would watch it all the time. And it was appropriate in the sense that there wasn't any like nudity or anything like that. But the entire show, I realized after a while basically glorified sin and made jokes about sin. And, and, and over time, I realized that it was subtly giving me like a casual attitude towards sex. It was like a lot of sexual humor. Again, like it would be on daytime TV, nothing crazy. But I just realized that the whole worldview of the TV show was so utterly opposite the Bible that it was just affecting me. Laughing at sin after a while affects your view of sin. It trivializes it. So I stopped watching it. And I didn't die. I was okay. Right? We get weirdly attached to these things sometimes. Like, oh, I need it. You don't. I can still exist in modern culture. And I'm much happier for it, to use the words of Scripture. So again, I would ask, what is influencing you? Is, is Instagram making you covet other people's lives? Get rid of it. You don't need it. Are you browsing Facebook all the time, watching the sinful lives of other people and beginning to desire those, those sinful things? Get rid of it. Scripture is literally saying you will be happier. Are you tempted to send or receive inappropriate messages on some social media? Get rid of it. You'll be happier for it. Are the, the TV shows you watch, are they sexualizing your thinking? Something to think about. Stop watching them. You will be happier for it. Is the music you're listening to glorifying what God declares is sinful? Stop listening to it. It's influencing you. So as Christians, we need to examine what influences us. And look, we can't draw these lines for each other. People are affected differently by different things. But my plea is simply this. Make sure you're not allowing ungodly influences in your life. Again, this this text is telling us the happy Christian examines their life and rids their life of any ungodly influence, shuts out the voice of the world. So that's that's the negative, but there's more to it than that. Look at verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So so the happy Christian rejects one source of influence for another. The the happy Christian finds their delight in the law of the Lord. So you can even see these words kind of overlapping happiness, blessing, and delight. 
This person, the blessed person, they're shutting out all these things, but they're happy. They're delighted because their delight is in the law of the Lord, in the instruction of the Lord, in God's word. Now, now the sense of this word law, it doesn't just mean like the book of Leviticus. It's talking about God's instruction, which is found in his word. So to translate this into uh, this side of the cross, the Christian takes the Bible and treasures it. The Christian delights in God's word, meditates on it, devours it, digests it, consumes it. And ultimately, the happy Christian, according to this psalm, is the one who allows God's voice to be the ultimate authoritative voice in their life and in their heart. Delights in God's word. They treasure this word of God. And sometimes this is hard. Right? We... We know our hearts. I know myself. Sometimes we struggle with treasuring God's word. But, but listen to the words of this psalm. If you are a Christian and you're not treasuring God's word, you're not delighting in his word, you will be much less happy for it. Guaranteed. Your faith will be weaker and you're robbing yourself of a source of joy. This is, if you're, so if you're a Christian, you're trying to shut out the voice of the world. So you're trying to not find joy in any of these things that the world says to find joy in. But then you're not finding joy in what God says to find joy in. You're left joyless. This is evidenced not only by the psalm, but by life experience. I mean, think about your life. Think of all the Christians you've met in your whole life. Think about, like, the number one Christian, the most godly person you've ever met, who's just on fire for Jesus. Every single one of those people that I've met, whom I've most admired, who has been full of joy and just like contagiously godly, has been someone who actively treasures the word of God and finds their delight in God's word. I would guess that your experience hasn't been any different. I dare you to find a Christian who's just filled with joy, filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with godliness, who overflows with Christian joy and is like, yeah, I don't really, the Bible, it's kind of boring. You're not going to find that person. So, so maybe you're sitting here today and, and you're, you're not happy. You're, you're struggling with joy. You're depressed. You're miserable. Well, let me ask you. Have you considered that one of the factors may be your lack of delighting in God's word? Now, obviously life is complicated. So I'm not saying... That if you just read the Bible, your life will be perfect and you'll be happy and you won't ever struggle with anything. That's, that's not what I'm saying. If, if it were that simple, that'd be great. But, but, the, but there's lots of other Psalms that talk about a lot of bad situations. So we know that that's not what it's saying. But what it is saying, blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. There is blessing to be found there. So what does it mean to delight in God's word? How do you know if you're delighting in God's word? Well, the text itself answers this question. The one delighting in God's word is the one who meditates on God's word. And this Hebrew word for meditate, right? Because we think meditate, that sounds like Buddhist or something like that. But the Hebrew word for meditate gives this idea of, of like chewing. Chewing, an audible mumbling or like a muttering, of musing to oneself, talking to oneself, thinking something over the, 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 
blessed person, the, the happy Christian, is one who delights in God's word by chewing on it, by mulling it over, by considering it deeply, by talking to oneself about it throughout the day. So, meditating is not just reading your Bible. Delighting and meditating on God's word is not just having a 10-minute quiet time in the morning, although that's not a bad thing, but that's not what meditation is. Delighting and meditating on God's word is, is taking it with you, is digesting it from your head down into your heart, taking a verse and, and mumbling, mumbling about it to yourself as you go about your day, chewing on a passage of scripture, seeing how, what is this? Tell me about God. How might I obey this? How might this affect my life? How is God's grace evident in this? See, because the goal of meditation is not Bible trivia. The goal of meditating on God's word is is knowledge, but ultimately obedience. The, The goal of meditating on God's word is to know God more deeply and to walk more deeply in obedience to his will. Meditation on God's word leads to life transformation. Meditation on God's word leads to obedience. Because as we get to know God better, as we see who he is, we desire more and more to obey him. And we know more and more what pleases him. This is illustrated just perfectly in the book of Joshua. Right, right before they're about to enter the promised land, God's kind of giving this, this whole thing to Joshua about what to do. And here's one of the things he says to Joshua. Notice all the same words that are used here. He says this in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. God says this to Joshua. This book of the law, so there we go again, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. What's the purpose? So that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. What's the result? For then you will make your way prosperous. And then you will have good success. You see what he's saying? He's saying, don't let this leave your mouth. So actually, there's the idea of chewing. Like he's saying, literally, like, keep chewing on it. So that you will do what it says. And then you will be prosperous. Same thing we find in Psalm 119, verse 11. Look at what the psalmist says. I have stored up your word in my heart. So he's digested it. Why? That I might not sin against you. Here's the same idea. He's he's meditated. He's digested God's word so that he knows what to do. So that he might not sin. You see, delighting and meditating on God's word drives obedience. In, In turn, obedience drives delighting and meditating on God's word. It's like this beautiful circle. And throughout church history, there have been many well-known practitioners of scriptural meditation, but probably the most well-known are the Puritans. They were experts on meditation. Charles Spurgeon once said of John Bunyan that he was, his, his mind and heart were so saturated with the Bible that if you pricked him, his blood would bleed bibline. That's what he said. That's the idea, that our lives would become so saturated with Scripture that it would just flow out of us. One of my favorite quotes about this is from the Puritan Thomas Brooks, and he says this about meditating. They're such good writers. Just listen to this picture. He says, remember, it's not hasty reading, 
but serious meditating upon holy and heavenly truths that make them prove sweet and profitable to the soul. Notice what he's saying there. He's saying if you're not delighting in God's word, maybe it's because you've just been reading it and not meditating on it. He continues, It's not the bee's touching of the flower which gathers honey, but her abiding for a time upon the flower which draws out the sweetness. It's not he who reads most, but he who meditates most, who will prove the choicest, sweetest, wisest, and strongest Christian. And that's communicating exactly what the psalm is saying. Do you want to be happier, wiser, sweeter, and stronger in your faith? Do you want to deepen your joy and your trust in God? Do you want to know God more deeply? Do you want to grow in godliness and wisdom? Join me, join me in meditating and delighting on God's word. That's what the psalmist is teaching us. It's pretty simple, actually. It may not be easy, but it's pretty simple. God has created us to live in a certain way. In his word, he tells us what that way is. If we meditate on it and obey it, we're happier. We're living in line with how God has created us. If we try to go our own way, we're less happy. It's simple logic. So the happy Christian shuts out the voice of the world, treasures the voice of God in their life. But there's more. You see, the psalmist doesn't just tell us what this this blessed person does, but he also tells us how it affects their life. And and in fact, he tells us also how rejecting this affects your life. Look at at verses 3 and 4. And this is what we're going to see. The blessed person is successful and grounded. The blessed person is successful and grounded. Look at verse 3 and 4. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. So here the psalmist gives a very striking contrast. The the happy Christian is like a big, beautiful tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. A leaf never withers and all producing fruit in season. Everything he does, he prospers. So, so try to picture this. Like, like picture in your mind this, this, this idea, this landscape. There's, there's a river. It's a perfect source of water. And there's this tree planted right on the bank of the river. And its roots are just sunk deeply. And because of that, it's always got this water. It's big. It's got a thick trunk. It's producing fruit every season. It's doing what it was meant to do. It doesn't have any withering leaves because it's rooted right at the source. And so even when there's a dry season, even when the winds blow, the tree's fine. This is how the psalmist describes the one who delights and meditates on God's word. Because he is rooted in drinking deeply day and night from God's word, he's prosperous. He's immovable. He's doing what he's meant to do. Happy Christian still goes through seasons, but they are not destroyed by them. When the wind comes, the tree is unaffected because it's deeply rooted, constantly feeding on God's word. So, so that's, that's one part of the picture. That's the happy person, the blessed person. But then he makes a really quick contrast to the ungodly And in Hebrew, it's even more 
emphasized. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Just poof, and they're gone. The chaff is like these little pieces of husks that they would essentially like take corn or wheat and they would throw it up into the air and the good stuff, the wheat or the corn, was heavy. So it would just fall to the ground and the chaff would just blow away in the wind. It was garbage. It was useless. Basically has no weight. It's easily disposed of. The, the gentlest of winds and it just blows away. Psalm 1 says this is, this is what the ungodly are like. Could there be a starker image between these two things? This, this big, beautiful, productive fruit tree on the bank of a river, rooted deeply, and just chaff, driven away by the wind. Useless. Tear, it's gone. That's the image that, that God is giving us of the righteous and the wicked. Those who heed God's word and those who don't. Would you, would you consider that image today? Ground yourself, root yourself in God's word, and you will be like this tree. Reject God's word, and you will be like chaff driven away by the slightest wind. See how ridiculous it is in this picture to be influenced by ungodly people? It's like the tree looking to the chaff and wanting to be like chaff. It's like the tree is trying to take growth advice from the chaff. It makes no sense. It's, it's utter foolishness. Let us ground ourselves in and delight in God's word, day and night, constantly, unceasingly. Now, now I need to give a caution about verse 3, because verse 3 says, in all that he does, he prospers. Right? So this is one of those verses that those guys on TV will take out of context, say, if you send me $1,000, you're going to prosper. But, but let me caution you, when you are analyzing what this means, and especially when you're reading the Old Testament, you need to read words like this through the lens of Scripture. You can't take a 21st century American idea of prosperity and put it onto the words of Scripture. So, in everything he does, or she does, the happy Christian really does prosper. But, but this is the key. Biblical prosperity is not always equal to material or worldly prosperity. Th- think about it this way. Let, let's, let's pick a person. Uh, I don't know. Jesus. Okay, let's pick Jesus. <laughs> the ultimate example of one who lived like this. Okay, he, he did this every day, every second of his life. Constantly fed on God's word. Let me ask you, was his life prosperous? It depends on which lens you look at it. Through which lens you look at it. In the eyes of the world, it's a failure. He was a Jewish peasant. He was homeless. He was poor. He died a humiliating death after failing to convince his own people that he could lead them. His own people killed him. In fact, all of his disciples were killed. Through the the lens of material prosperity, failure. Same thing for the Apostle Paul. But now look at it through the lens of Scripture. By his... His death, he purchased a people for himself. Through his death, he conquered sin, death, and defeated Satan. And literally all authority on heaven and earth is now his. He sits enthroned at the right hand of the Father, forever ruling and reigning, and will one day return at the head of an angelic army to strike down all his enemies. It's a little bit of a different picture. All that to say, when you hear this word prosper, don't import the American dream into it. 
God's not saying if you're faithful, you'll get a lot of stuff and you'll never get sick. That's not what he's saying. You have to read this through the cross of Christ, through the lens of Christ. Now we know, according to Romans 8.28, that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. But the good that this is talking about is conforming us to the image of Christ. Because as Christians, that's what we most desire. But you won't believe that if you don't delight in his word. You won't bank on this if his word is not your delight. You, you will seek prosperity like the world does. And when you don't get it, you'll throw a fit. You see how that works. We, we can trust in God's faithfulness, which is a result of knowing his faithfulness, which we find by delighting and meditating on his word. So, so we see that the happy Christian rejects the world's voice, but treasures God's voice. And the happy Christian is rooted and prosperous, but the ungodly are not. But now we move to the third stanza here, the third phase, how this affects eternity. The blessed person will stand in the day of judgment. They will be saved in the day of judgment because they are known by God. The the happy person, the happy Christian will be saved in the day of judgment because they are known by God. In other words, all of those who are rooted in God's word and therefore rooted in Christ will be saved on the day of judgment. Look at verse 5 and 6. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. We saw that in our scripture reading this morning with Christ basically saying the same thing. I will separate from the congregation of the righteous my people from the wicked. There's no mincing of words here. Scriptures are clear. The wicked will not stand in the day of judgment. The righteous will stand. On their own merits? No. Because they are known by God. What does Jesus say in in Matthew 7? To the people who he rejects, depart from me, I never knew you. He doesn't know them as his people. So the righteous will live eternally, but the wicked will perish. Judgment, condemnation, wrath, and doom will be upon those who reject God. But the righteous are known by God, and they will not perish. This is the message of the entire Bible, that there are two ways to live. There are two paths, two destinies. Submitting and worshiping God or rejecting Him. Receiving Christ or rejecting Christ. And the Bible is clear that those who reject Christ receive eternal destruction. They will perish. They will be like chaff that blows away in the wind. Those who trust in Jesus Christ and believe in Him will receive eternal life and every spiritual blessing among many other things. This is the message of this psalm and the entire Bible is that there are these two paths. Submitting and worshiping God or rejecting Him. Receiving or rejecting Christ. You you cast your lot with Jesus or with Satan. You choose Christ or you choose your own way. And at the end of days, you will either hear, well done, good and faithful servant, or depart from me. I don't know you. 
Only those who place their faith in Christ will enter into the eternal blessed life. All others will perish. Those who trust in Christ, believe in Him, will receive eternal life and every spiritual blessing. These are two paths, two destinies. There's no third way. All of humanity, like we saw in our scripture reading, will be separated into two groups on the day of judgment. The sheep and the goats. Jesus makes this abundantly clear in John 3, 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. Two paths. Two destinies. One to life. One to death. One to eternal happiness. One to eternal sorrow. Which path are you on this morning? Now, now here's, here's the, the kicker to all this. By nature... We are all on the path to destruction. And the path to eternal life is not through meditating and delighting on God's word. The, the path to gain eternal life is not by reading your Bible. The path to gain eternal life is not by being good enough. It's not by trying really hard. In, in fact, you can't. You are unable to be good enough. Everything you do is stained with sin. We're not saved by how much we read our Bible. We're not saved by how much delight we can muster in our own strength of flesh. We're not saved by how much of the Bible knowledge we have or how much of the Bible we have committed to memory. We're not even saved by how hard we try to fight sin. Now, if you're on the path to destruction and you want to be on the path to eternal life, the only way is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We sang it this morning in Rock of Ages. Nothing in my hands I bring simply to the cross. I cling naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, I look to you for grace. That is the message of the gospel. Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. We are saved by turning from our effort and placing all of our hope in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Only then, only then can we delight and meditate on God's word. Only then do we receive blessing from God. Because only then do we realize who we are and who God is correctly. You see, it is when you realize how amazing, how sinful you are. How you can never do anything to earn eternal life. And yet, by God's grace, you can trust in Christ. When you realize that, you will begin to delight and meditate on God's word. You will delight in God's word because you delight in him. Because you trust him. Because you delight in God. See, the more that you delight in God and his will, the less attractive all the other stuff is. Because you see through it. It's like chaff that just blows away in the wind. See, the life of the blessed person here in Psalm 1 is a result of trusting in God, trusting in Christ, not a means to earn favor with God. So if you want to be this blessed person this morning, 
But the one who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on the law of the Lord, the one who's like a tree, the one who will stand in judgment, trust in Christ. Put your faith in Christ. Trust in Him and follow Him and obey Him. And then delight in His Word. Meditate on His Word and shut out the voices of the wicked that are influencing your life and let God's Word influence you. If you do this, brothers and sisters, by by God's amazing grace, you will prosper and you will stand because you will be known by God. Day of judgment. There's only these two paths before you this morning. The path of faith in Christ, which results in blessing and leads to eternal life. And the path of faith in self, which results in God's wrath and eternal condemnation. It's what the message of this psalm is for us this morning. Trust in Christ Jesus this morning and live. Trust in Christ Jesus this morning. Let him be your delight and your treasure. Let's pray. Heavenly Father,